Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. If this is the first time that you're joining us, I want to say welcome to you. And as you head out of these buildings, there are some gift boxes that await you with uh, your name on it, so to speak. They have some information about who we are and, of course, the God that we serve and whom we love and worship here today. We are ending a series called Asking for a Friend. You know, the questions, the hard questions that your friends ask. You didn't ask them. Your, your friends asked them. I think one of the great sermons that has come out of this series is the one that Evan Nave preached um, at the very beginning, a sermon on mental health. If you haven't heard that one, go to the podcast, check that out online, a very impressive and important sermon. And maybe we didn't answer all the questions that you had. We, we try to do the best we could generally to, to answer these questions. And maybe you still have some that you want answered. Would you fill those out on your communication card, drop them in one of the baskets as you leave this place, and Evan Nave will be real quick to get back to you and answer all your hard-pressing questions in the faith. You know, this week we finish up by trying to put two questions together. They were big questions that you had, and just because it feels like maybe we're, we're sweeping up some crumbs, it doesn't make them any less important. One question was about how do I find significance in my job? The second question was how do I find purpose in my parenting? And I want to do my best to answer those questions, but really it's going to feel like today two sermons in one setting, and it's going to have a bit of that feel. So I'm going to do my best to try to narrow down how to find significance and meaning in the marketplace, and then try to find some purpose with our parenting. You know, if you can think back to when you were a little kid, you had an answer for this question. What are you going to be when you grow up? Now, how'd you answer that? The top five answers are usually like fireman, policeman, veterinarian, doctor, teacher. Maybe you have an athlete in there or an astronaut, but you know what's risen to the top lately? Professional video game player. <laughs> I never said that when I was a kid. As a matter of fact, the top two on my list were professional baseball player. And once I realized in junior high, I was probably going to get as big as I was in junior high and high school in the following years, that was as big as I was going to get. I decided, you know what? I'm going to be a lifeguard at the beach. And then I discovered my body wasn't changing. I was still just like a, a green bean string of, you know, muscle and nothing more. I decided, you, you got a body for a preacher. You're going to have to go and preach. That's going to be about it. <laughs> How did you answer that question when you, when you were growing up? Like, what did you want to be? Because I'm sure now, more than likely, it didn't pan out for you. There's probably a lot of reasons for that. Maybe it just wasn't something that was like, you know, conducive to what you were really going to do. And as you matured, it, it kind of went away. But there was a passion that was landing in your heart as a kid that I'm sure has maybe faded away. Maybe it's still wanted there. And, and you're, not, you're doing something now, but you're not doing what you want to do now. Like you, you fell into this kind of uh, equation where maybe you dropped out of college early or you got a job right out of high school because you thought money plus position equaled a successful career. Because you have equated that a successful career equals a satisfied life. And if, if that goes well, then the rest of life goes well. And so you, you, you maybe you know, ditched college for that better job. You, you, you maybe landed in a job that you thought, well, you know this, I know this is not going to benefit my soul, but it's going to benefit my bank account. And uh, what we've done, and the problem that we've done, is we've bought into this lie, and we've also bought into another lie that who you are is, at work is, is your ID. It's, it's identified you. It's who you are. And so since you're not feeling significance at work, you're probably not having a lot of significance in life. And a guy by the name of Solomon, who was incredibly rich, God blessed his life with wisdom and riches, he wrote these words in Proverbs 23. He said, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. And you're like, I'm quitting tomorrow then. <laughs> but that's not what he's saying. He's like, don't make it your aim to pursue money. Keep your job, but don't make it your aim at your job to pursue money. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. 
And I think some of us have bought in this lie since we have a good position or maybe we're, quit, or we're chasing this money, but it's not working out for us. We're still feeling insignificant. We're, we're not having meaning in the marketplace. We're wondering why this isn't working out for us. And maybe it's because you're using your job just so that you can have a good weekend experience. You're using the money just so that you can maybe save it up so you can live it up. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like some of us are trying to use this job just to make money rather than to make a difference. We're trying to use our career field rather than seeing it as a, a mission field. And you're not finding a whole lot of meaning there. And, and you're, you're trying to find advancement, but it's, it's just not happening. Friends, I've got to tell you, there's nothing wrong with advancing in your company. There's nothing wrong with having a, a bigger salary this year than you did last year. But it, it all will, will, it needs to be pushed aside if those pursuits are greater than your pursuit of God. Your pursuit of God is the number one thing. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon says it like this. He says, I have observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. I guess Solomon, too, was trying to keep up with the Joneses in his day also. But this, too, is meaningless like chasing the wind. You ever seen someone chase after the wind? You can't, like, you're, you're, something's moving ahead and you're kind of stomping on it and you can't ever get it. I got kicked out of Disneyland for doing pranks like this. It was not the happiest place on earth when I got kicked out, by the way. There was a plank much like this, hooking fishing line to a dollar bill or $20, and someone chases it, but they'll never be able to catch up with it. They'll never be able to get the dollar bill because you're reeling it in. They have no idea that they're never going to get that pursuit that they want, and they'll never make the money. And that reminds me of some of our jobs. Like, you're chasing after this money, but you're not ever being satisfied. You're just constantly chasing it, but yet there's no significance to it. There's no meaning to it. And I think, I think most can get a big bank account but can be still feeling empty in life. Friends, I, I'll put it to you like this. Some of us can have a big bank account but be spiritually bankrupt. How about that? Because we're not making the most of the marketplace. We're not really living for Christ at our workplace. And I would contend the reason why we're so disconnected at work is because we're chasing the wrong thing. We're chasing this equation. If I can get a bigger position or more money, I'll have a successful career and that will equal a satisfied life. But let me just float this out to you because this was kind of molded this sermon. There's a great quote by A.W. Tozer. He's a profound theologian in the faith. Here's what he had to say. This will help you out. It helped me out. It's not what a man does that determines whether or not his work is sacred. It's not what you do or secular, but why he does it. So it's not about what you do, it's about why you do it. That's what I tell my kids a lot. If you're going to be a plumber, go be the best plumber you possibly could in the name of Jesus. If you're going to be a dog catcher, go be the best dog catcher you can possibly do it in the name of Jesus. It's not about what you do, it's about why you're doing it. Is it your mission field? Are you marking time? Or are you trying to mark people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because I don't think if you're doing the daily grind, you're going to find a whole lot of significance in the daily grind. Oh, you might when you get a reward, you might when you get a promotion, you might when you get maybe a raise, but for the most part, we won't. George Gallup backs that up in a poll. He says that 80% of Americans don't find any meaning at work because it's not utilizing any of their gifted or, or talents, gifts or talents. 80% of us. It's not utilizing our gifts and talents. And so what happens, we leave the workplace with a level of frustration, a level of frustration. We walk away saying, I've got no meaning in life because we've attached our identity to our work and we've said, life has no significance. This is meaningless stuff here because I'm not finding any meaning in the marketplace. And so the truthful equation, the honest equation, and Solomon would back this up. He would say it like this, work minus meaning equals insignificance. Now I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be positive, so let's put it in a positive slant. Work plus meaning equals significance. But here's the problem because most of us have the equation of work minus meaning because we understand the insignificance. How do we build the meaning into the marketplace? How do we build 
our, our, our life into rather than marking time, we start marking other people's lives. And we use our career field as a mission field. How do we do that? Number one, I think we just need to change our perspective of how we see our job, how we see our work. Just change a perspective. As a Christian, you've been called to live out your faith everywhere that you walk. In Colossians chapter 3, would you turn there with me? It's page 955 in the Bible in the chair rack in front of you. If you have a Bible, follow along if you would in the book of Colossians. Paul, the apostle, is writing to a group of slaves. They didn't have a choice in where they were going to work. They didn't have a choice who was going to be their boss. They didn't have a, church, a choice in, 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 in the job they were going to do. You see, for us, we got to apply. We can quit. We can move jobs if we want to. But they didn't. And the apostle Paul really comes down on them. He says, listen, guys, it's not about what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. It's not about what you're doing, it's about why you're doing it. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to gain some money? Are you doing it to chase after a paycheck and a promotion to find significance? Because if you do, you're never going to find it. But once you change that why to, I'm going to start marking people's lives with, with Jesus, I'm, I'm going to start living and working for the Lord, things will change, your perspective will change. Here's what he says in Colossians 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. Not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Notice verse 23, whatever you do, whatever you do. Like there's, there's no bracketing here of like, well, if you do this, be this way. If you do this, be this way. But, and there's some jobs you shouldn't really live for the Lord and, and work hard at. No, no, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Like that's where your bonus is. That's where the payoff is going to be. Knowing that what you were doing, you had a good why behind it. And it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you're not serving your master. You're not serving your employer. You're not serving the company. You're serving the Lord. You're working on mission and you're bringing meaning to the marketplace. And, and you, you may think of your boss as a slave driver, but, but he's probably not. I mean, you, you have an opportunity to leave that job and find something new, maybe something that fits your skill set better, or, or maybe an environment that's not as negative. But what the Apostle Paul is saying, don't quit your job. Have a new perspective about your job. And so it really boils down to this. Let your career become your calling. Did you catch that? Let your career, the thing you're involved in right now, let it be your calling. And, and here's a great statement. A career is what you were paid for. A career is what you're paid for, but a calling is what you are made for. Now, I'll tell you what, if I were in the audience and I heard that, I'd write that down. Just say it. Because a career is what you are paid for. A calling is what you are made for. And any Christian in this room, you are called to minister, to glorify God wherever you're at. Did you catch that? The boardroom, the bedroom, you're called to glorify God. The living room, you're called to glorify God. The, 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 the athletic field, you're called to glorify. In the gym day, you're called to glorify God. It doesn't matter where you're at, you're called to glorify God. That's what you were made for. And friends, too many of us are letting Satan win in our workplace. We're just letting Satan win. We're letting Satan take over the negativity. We're letting Satan take over the complaints. We're letting Satan take over the grumpy attitude that exists and the, the morale that, of the people that we work for. We're just letting Satan take ground. When you see your workplace as a place of ministry, it will change your perspective from what you do to why you do it. Your work will finally have some significance and some meaning, and you'll finally find meaning in the marketplace, and you'll find some satisfaction, probably greater satisfaction with your life. Number one, just have a better perspective. God has placed you in that workplace so that you can minister to those others that you're working with. He didn't place you there so that you can mark time. He placed you in that, that marketplace so that you can mark lives. Here's the second thing. Minister to those right in front of you. I know, it's like, that's not very complex, is it? 
Just think about the people that you work with. Just think about the problems that they face. And they, they audibly tell you. You're with them for a minimum of nine hours a day. And they're going to tell you about the problems they have as a parent, the, the stress problems that they have financially. They're going to tell you the problems that they have at the workplace, their time management issues, their depression, their anxiety, their, their relationship struggles. You know more about these people than probably their own spouse or their therapist knows about them. Hey, how about start to minister to them? You can see your coworkers as a problem, or you can see them as someone you can pastor. You can see your coworkers and ignore them, or you can see them as someone who can be restored, and you can restore them. It's all a matter of perspective. It's about ministering to those who are right in front of you. Maybe the next time that someone complains at the office or someone complains at the shop floor, and you feel like a little grumpy about it too, like this is a terrible idea that the boss is having us do. Like work overtime, and, and we're really not really producing much here. It just seems like a waste of time. How about you just have a, a greater perspective and start ministering to those people right in front of you and say, I know their attitude's getting bad. I'm just going to pull them aside to the recesses, and I'm going to start praying for them, and I'm going to just say to them, hey, you know what? Your attitude's getting this way. My attitude's getting this way. I'm getting grumpy about it. Let's ask and pray that the hope that Christ can give us delivers us from this darkness, and let's put some light into this little place that we call work. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I got a friend, I got a great friend that he takes journals of prayer, prayer journals with him, and he has this little pocketbook with him, and as he walks the shop floor, he talks to his employees, and he, he writes down the struggles and the, and the hurts and the hopes that they're going through, and he says, I'm going to pray for you as I leave this place, and what he does is he looks over that journal every single day, and maybe he'll meet with that person a week later or a month later, and he'll say to them, hey, Bob, last time we talked, you were having difficulties with your son because he wasn't doing well in school, and that was causing some fights between you. How's that going? Because Every time I think of you, I've been praying for you. You know how Bob responds? You've been thinking about me? You've been praying for me? Yeah, that's right. I've been calling your name before the Lord God Almighty. Your name has hit his ears because I interceded for you. Friends, what a way to minister to people. You're going to have like a full uh, attention span of that person and an avenue to point them toward God in a greater way when you just start seeing the marketplace as a mission field rather than as a place just to earn some money. When you start realizing that you've been created to glorify God everywhere you're at. Here's the third way you can, you can do this. Here's the third way that you can make your marketplace a mission field. It's just be attractively distinct. This is a line of Tim Keller. Tim Keller is an author and a pastor. He says, listen, it's time for Christians just to stand out rather than to blend in. Like, I know you might all be in the same uniform, but it's time to stand out and really Show that you are something different and Christ is doing something different within you. Jesus points out, he says, a city on a hill can't be hidden, nor should you. He points it out and says, a lamp put into a dark room casts out light, and so should you. And some of you are in some very dark, negative environments in the workplace. Let me give you some ideas on how you can be attractively distinct, how you can stand out for Christ in the midst of your workplace. Number one, be known as the fair person, the caring person, and the committed person at the office. Like things at work are just not fair, but you be the fair person. Try to find fairness. How about just being caring? Like, Love them beyond the workplace. So when you clock out, don't have your heart clock out from them. Don't have your mind clock out from them. Don't have your prayers clock out from them. How about this? Commitment. Like people aren't really committed to their jobs anymore, are they? Like any owner, business owner in this place would say the hardest thing about being a business owner is I just can't find committed people. You be the committed person and you show them that every aspect of your life, not just your commitment to Christ shows, but your commitment to other things as well. Number two, be, be known as being generous. Guys, generosity goes far beyond money. How about just being generous with encouragement? Everybody loves the person that's encouraging. I've never heard someone say, boy, you're just way too encouraging. Get away from me. It just doesn't happen. 
Be generous with your encouragement. Build people up rather than tear them down. You'll find that people will want to be around you, and it'll give you an avenue to point them to Jesus Christ. And you'll find a whole lot of meaning when people start, start asking you about the hope that you have in Jesus. Number two, in that generosity aspect, maybe you're sitting around the break room, and you've got a can of Coke, and there's someone else that doesn't have a drink. How about you just go over to the vending machine and put in 75 cents, and you get them a can of Coke and say, here you go. You want to know how a little bit of generosity breaks down a hard heart? We've seen it every single month in our dollar difference, haven't we? You can have a really hard heart, but just a little bit of generosity breaks that down. God's generous. He's been generous with us. We understand we've had a hard heart, and God breaks it down, and, and he allows us to come into his presence, and we welcome it because he's been so gracious to us. Everybody loves the guy that shows up with a box of donuts on a Friday morning, except if you're on a diet, right? Yeah. And so maybe some of you just need to say, you know, I'm going to be generous with... Uh, with my money, I'm going to be generous with my time. I'm going to be generous with my encouragement. Number three, be, be known as the calm and, and be poised in the face of difficulty. Think of all the things that happen at work that don't go right. Think of all the negativity. How about just being poised? Maybe there's been a layoff notice. Instead of freaking out, how about being the man of faith for a moment? How about showing people that you have a foundation that goes bigger and deeper than any layoff or, or pay cuts? And while everyone's freaking out, how about you stand there and you say, I'm going to have a perspective on this. I'm going to be poised in this. There's difficulty here. But I've got a faith that can't be shaken. I've got a firm foundation, and he's Jesus Christ. Fourth, be known as being authentic. Just being authentic. And what I'm getting at is this. Bring your whole self to work. Like, quit compartmentalizing your faith. Like, I'll take Jesus with me to school. I'll take Jesus with me to church. But when it comes to the workplace, I'm just going to get crazy. I'm going to lose my senses, and I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to get negative, and I'm going to get hostile, and I'm, I'm going to lose my mind there. I, I, I just, why, why have Bible study at church but not pray with your boss? Why, why pray with a small group but not pray with those who are on your shift? It doesn't make sense to me. Man, be the light of Christ in your workplace and find some meaning in the marketplace. Because the true equation is work plus meaning equals significance. Instead of marking time, let's just start marking lives. Let's look at our career field as a mission field. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not, with, not for human masters. Now, some of you in the room, you had some questions, just a small amount of questions about what if I'm called to ministry? Let me tell you what it looks like to be called to ministry. All five of these things probably need to be there in your life currently. Uh, like you have to have a supernatural calling. I really believe that. It's not just another career, it's a vocation, it's a calling. I, I don't want to get in depth with this. If you, want, if you want to know if God's calling you to full-time pastoring or leading in a church, would you come and speak to a guy like me? These things need to be there. You're serving in the church already. I, you're, you probably would be serving in the church already if God's calling you. You're not willfully sinning. Like You're not living with someone who's, who's, who's not your spouse. Your serving is effective, and you're finding the fruits of your labor, and you have a high desire for the things of God. If, if any of those things are stacking up your life, you go, I got all five of those and I feel God calling me into ministry, let's talk. If you don't have all five of those going, let's not talk. You're not there yet. You're not there yet. Maybe God's calling you. Maybe he's helping you. Maybe you've got some things to, to figure out, but it needs to be a genuine calling and not just a career. I don't know what to do next because I'm a lousy preacher, except for to pray and say, then let's talk about parenting. How about that? <laughs> let's pray together. Father, we want to get this thing right at work. And uh, may we find great significance, but may we only do it in you. When we glorify you, may we take our whole self to our workplace, and may we find meaning in the marketplace, because we have let our light shine, and we will see some fruits of our labor. And it's not about what we do, but why we do it. May that just sit clear on us. May your Holy Spirit give us avenues to talk to people about Jesus. 
May the Holy Spirit calm our hearts as we walk into dark environments. May the Holy Spirit give us the encouragement that we can have to set that business ablaze for you. And we pray in Christ's name and everyone says, amen. Total switch of gears. Are you ready? Big question. How do I guide my children to follow God? That was the big question in a general sense. How do I guide my children to follow God? You know what I found is that parenting is probably the greatest thing of difficult I find to do in my life. It is the hardest thing for me to do. It is so difficult for me to be a parent. And I know there's great rewards when it's done right, but it is so hard. Things can go from bad to worse rather quickly. I heard about a mother that showed up at her home. She drove into her driveway and she saw her three little kids huddled around something. She couldn't tell, but they were totally looking at something intently. And she walked over after she got out of the car and she, she noticed that they were huddled around three baby skunks. And she said, boys, run away, skunks. And they all grabbed a skunk and ran into the house. (laughs) You know things as a parent can go from bad to worse rather quickly. And if you're having parenting problems in this room, let's just all join the same therapist, okay? Because I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's such a struggle at times. But may I also just calm your heart a little bit? We're in good company. We're in good company with parenting problems. I'm not using this as an excuse to say it's okay to have parent problems. And it's okay if, if you're sitting here saying, I'm a bad parent. That, there's no excuse for that. I want you to at least try. God wants you to try to be a good parent. That's why he's put them under your care. But just know that the people of the Bible, there's been people in the Bible that have had uh, rebellious daughters and prodigal sons. I think about David, who had this dysfunctional family. His, his family life was a mess. He had one child, an older kid, that, that tried to, to kill him and, and push him out of the kingdom. I mean, that's a bad deal when you have a son saying, you're better off to me dead than alive, dad. David knew that he wasn't a very good dad. He knew that he was aloof. He had one son that uh, raped David's daughter. That, that's crazy mess of stuff. And you're going, look, man, uh, my life's not that bad. Can I just tell you how, how, how God handled David's dysfunction? God never stopped loving David's family. God never stopped loving David. God never said, David, you're an awful father, and I'm done loving you. You have blown it, David. No more grace left in you and no more grace left for your kids. No, God waited patiently for David and his children to return. God waited patiently. Parents, some of you need to hear that because you have older children who are adults now and they're not in the Lord. Just wait patiently for them to return. You live for Christ and wait patiently for their return. And I know as we speak on this, there is a tinge of regret that some of you might have. Because you didn't live for Christ while those children were under your roof. Or you didn't know Christ where those children were living under your roof. And you're saying, I don't know if they will ever make their way to Jesus. May I just reassure you that God is going to give you grace. God is going to give them grace. And let's just pray that there is an intervention of faith that happens far beyond you. Because you may not have any ability anymore to point them towards Jesus. But you need to be praying that others in their life do. You need to be praying that God works in great ways and points them toward God. Because I, I know how it is. I want my kids more than anything to know who Christ is. More than anything. I had lunch last week with Bill Miller. He attends church here with his wife, Michelle. His two girls, I've been able to watch them grow in the Lord and grow in their faith. Uh, Pearl and Grace, they're serving here at church. And they're in school to do ministry. And I just looked at Bill at lunch. I said, man, I am, I am nearly envious of you. It's so hard to get your kids pointed towards Christ and the cross, and, and you've done it. You know, the greatest goal that I've got as a parent is to get my kids to love the Lord, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. That's it. It's not to make them an incredible athlete, not to make them intellectuals, 
but have them to love God. And I'll tell you what, my life would be a mess. I will go to the grave in grief, in grief, if I can lead tens of thousands of people to the Lord, but I can't lead my five boys to the Lord. That's the goal. And, and, and let me just say this. If you want an outcome that you hope for, you have to have a destination that you're going to achieve. And, and, and you know how great books are usually started? They're started with the ending in mind. They usually write the, the conclusion first, and then they go back and write the beginning. And parents, what I'm, what I'm getting at with this is you've got to know the target that you're aiming your children towards. What is that target? I think for any Christian parent, it needs to be that they fall in love with God and live for God all the days of their life. The, the psalmist and Jesus talks about the path that we should take them down. One psalmist talks about the course that we need to put them on. It says it like this, to direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. They'll understand the path. They'll recognize the path. They, they won't. Jesus talked about that, that path that was very narrow. You've heard him talk this way? It's very narrow. It's very difficult, that path is, but there's huge rewards to it. And some of the parents lead them down another road that's very freeing and very wide, and Jesus says, listen, that's the path of destruction. You think you're doing right towards your kids. You think you're doing right for yourself, but in the end, it just leads to rebellion. And I know your kids are going to say, Dad, you're not letting me have any freedom. You're not letting me have any fun. It's because they're on the narrow path, but there's a ton of reward there parent. There's a ton of reward there for keeping them in line with who God is and pointing them towards Christ. Keep them on the path. And let me just give you this acronym of what path is. Number one, it's, it is providing spiritual foundation for your children. Just providing a spiritual foundation for your children. Joshua, who's the commander of the Lord's army, they took some ground for God. And then after they took some ground for God and stopped fighting, they, be, they, they lost focus of their faith. But Joshua like, gives this command, and he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land we are living. Now, everyone, let's just say this last line together, everyone. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, I don't care what you all are going to do. This is the way we're going to do it. We're going to love the Lord. I'm going to set a spiritual foundation for my household. Parents, there'd be a a lot of things that we can drag our focus away from God. There can be a lot of things in life that will drag the focus away from God for our kids. It could be sports, it could be academics, it could be hobbies, it could be be entertainment. And you got about 18 years to really invest into your children and to provide for them a spiritual foundation. And what good would it be? Just listen, what good would it be if they become a professional athlete but they don't practice their faith. What good would it be if they become this mountain of intelligence, but they never have knowledge of God? What good would it be if they become an incredible hunter, but they're never aiming their life at Christ? What good is that? And I think some of us in the room, we just kind of like have hopeful expectation that if we just get them to church 20 times a year, that maybe, hopefully, they'll just learn to do what is right and fall after God. Can I just tell you sadly that uh, just one generation later after Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, people completely left their faith because parents stopped teaching their kids about who God was. They stopped leading them down a path and providing a spiritual foundation. Here's what happens in the book of Judges. It says, after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up and, and knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Why? Because parents stopped providing a spiritual foundation for them. Hey, 
Go play your sport. It's more important to be an athlete than it is to be a Christian. Go, go learn how to be a good hunter. It's more important to be a good hunter than it is to be a, a Christian. Go, go, go work on your academic life because it's more important. School is more important than it is to be a Christian. And you know what that says? Uh-uh. You're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. That's what we do here. Pathway, provide a spiritual foundation. The A is affirm your kids. Just affirm your kids. Affirm your kids in the faith. I'm, 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 running, I'm running out of time, so I'm talking a little faster here. And I, I want you to know this stuff. Like, I, I get so critical on my kids, and it's wrong to get critical on your kids in such a way. Like, they play baseball, and we talk about the errors that they made, you know, the strikeouts that they had. And I just for, finally just learned to shut my mouth because I love baseball, and I love that they love it. But my criticism ain't helping them love it anymore. And I've just learned to say things like this. I love watching you play. <laughs> you can read my notes later. <laughs> but that affirmation, I know, propels them further to practice than my criticism would. And you know that too. Just think about how God affirmed his kid when Jesus did what was right in the faith. Jesus is baptized and commits himself, not because he needed the forgiveness of sins, but to set the example for us and to start his ministry off right. God broke 400 years of silence, and what did God say? This is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased. What a line of affirmation from our heavenly father. Kid, you're doing good. You're doing good. Dads, when's the last time you said to your kid, you're doing good? I don't care what age they are. I love you. You're doing good. And start affirming them in the faith, the things of faith. They go the extra mile for someone, affirm that in them. You went the extra mile. That's exactly what Jesus would have done. Start affirming them in the faith. You're forgiving your brother or sister. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. Good, good job. That's exactly what God wants of you. You're showing mercy. Good. That's exactly what God shows you to do. Son, you're, 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 you're now giving a tithe to the church. Good. That's exactly where God wants you to put money in its place. Good. Make God the king of your life. Hey, I'd like to get into the T and the H, but the it's going to take a little time. The T's for training or teaching. It just simply means to teach your children about God. Use everything you can to teach your children about God. Let, let the words of Jesus come out of your mouth as you drive along the road and say, boy, isn't God incredible? As you look at the, the fall sky and the beauty of his environment, just say, isn't God just so great and wonderful and complex? There's got to be a grand designer to this thing. How about help them develop godly habits? Kid, dads, moms, your children are watching you. And if church isn't important, they're going to see it. If the Bible isn't important, they're going to see it. If prayer isn't important, they're going to see it. If faith isn't important, they're going to see it. If Christ is only lip service, they're going to recognize it. And not a lifestyle, they're going to see it. Help them establish good, healthy habits. But may I just say this, because I know what the feeling is in the room. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your kids, regardless of their age. Some of your kids are aging out of your house right now. They're like 14 years old, and you now feel the distance. They've pushed you aside, right? They're in their bedroom now alone with the door shut. And you have no idea what's really going on. You're like, you know what? I don't think they want me around anyway. And so you've kind of drawn back. You ever been to a youth soccer game, seven-year-old soccer game? Who's, a, who's in the crowd? Mom, dad, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, third cousins, fifth cousins, second cousins, people from all generations are there. Why? Because they're watching the seven-year-olds play soccer. But what about a JV soccer game? Who's there? Maybe mom, maybe a dad, maybe. Just because over time, what happens? We just, we just kind of feel like we, we drift away. And the older they get, sometimes parents just fade out. And I know some of you are thinking, well, it's too late for me. My kids are already out of the house, and, and uh, I don't know if my kids will ever come to know who God is. You can reclaim lost ground, mom. You can reclaim lost ground, dad. You can reclaim it. And you're saying, how? You got to have a spiritual battle in mind. It's a spiritual battle from here on out. They might be out of your tether, 
far removed from your umbilical. They're out. You need to pray first. Pray, pray. You got a kid that's far removed from God, and they're not in your house. Pray, pray for godly wisdom. Pray on on reconciling the relationship. Difficult circumstances. They need it needs divine help. You're going to need more strength than what you can muster up. You're going to need God's strength. You're going to need some spiritual strength. Second, if you haven't always shown your kid love, you can reclaim lost ground. How? 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because why? Love, it's love that covers over a multitude of sins. And some of you in this room today, you just need to get on the phone. You say, I know I said some words that hurt you. I love you, son. I, I love you, honey. I, just, I, I know I've done some things in the past that didn't make sense to you, and I'm now trying to live my life for Christ, and I, and I love you. And, and, I, and may the next days model that, and um, may the next days show you the sincerity of my faith. And I think it's time to show love, to speak love, to rebellious child. And, and I know I'm talking to some children in here who maybe need to call up their mom and their dad and say, I've been rebellious for too long. I've, I've been mean to my mother for too long. I've been downright nasty to my dad for too long. And I've held some things against him for too long. And maybe, maybe you're the rebellious kid, not to God, but to them. And you just need to pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry, that's not who I want to be. I want to show you the love of Jesus Christ here. I'm a changed person. We should learn from the past, but we don't need to live in it. And let's just remember that all of us have rebelled in this room. Like all of us in this room have rebelled. We have a heavenly father that has shown us a great amount of love. We've all been rebellious daughters and prodigal sons. And for those of you who have returned back to God, have witnessed his grace, have given their life over to Jesus, he welcomes you back with open arms. And some of you haven't done that yet. I talked to a young man today. He says, I believe, but I just haven't made a commitment. It doesn't matter about your belief then. Jesus says, believe and be baptized. Believe and have faith. Believe and make a commitment.